Good evening, everybody. It's Charlene Anderson, your wholesale sourcing expert, here on September 5th, 2019, with an unusual evening podcast. And that's because I wanted to have Ron Davison on the podcast to talk about some of these things, business emergencies and exit strategies and all those kind of things. So welcome, Ron. Hi, everybody. And uh, yeah, nice to be back on one of the shows. I think this is my fourth or fifth. Yeah, it's our like 97th. We're closing in on 100. So that's a lot of talking. So anyway, let's Yeah, you definitely right need in. to do something special for the 100. Yeah, let's jump right in. And I want to give some background. We had a couple of group members ask about the topics that we're going to talk about. I know John Wayne asked and Sarah asked and somebody else asked also within the past week all independently about this topic. So it seems a good time to do it. And it seems especially important based on the weather issues that have been happening to um, the southeast right now with Hurricane Dorian. Um, you know, you have to make, you have to make plans because weather happens. So what we're going to talk about tonight is a few different things. We're going to talk about um, what happens if you get sick and can't get your, keep up with your business. Um, if a weather emergency hits or something else happens, you know, it could be that you're on vacation and the flights get canceled and all of a sudden all these plans now have to come into place to take care of your business. So let's start with, with the ones that are probably, I think, the easiest to handle, and that's um, local emergencies, meaning like somebody hits a power pole and the power goes out or here it's a case of snow took down like a dozen power poles and blacked out a whole part of town for a while. So um, my first thing to say is you have to have an off-site backup, um, meaning it's not something that you physically store in your home. So um, that means if you have to go somewhere else to use a computer to get power, you can easily access things somewhere else. Hard drive crashes, you need to have it somewhere else. So, Ron, what do you do for backup? Okay, so I know that you use an off-site backup. I haven't taken the leap for an off-site backup yet. Um, I use uh, iCloud, and I have um, all of my business documents are stored on a folder that synchronizes across iCloud with my laptop, my desktop, uh, and even I can access that uh, to a degree from my iPad and my phone. Um, I found, um, because all of my software is web-based, um, and I have my passwords stored with one password, I can pretty much work from anywhere. And those files, such as invoices, purchase orders, um, uh, photos, those are all available to me via iCloud. So that, so far, has been working for me. OK, well, I do something a little different. Um, I use Carbonite, which is a, a software cloud-based service that's specifically for backups. And it automatically backs up both my laptop and my desktop. Um, so that's the first thing. So if I have a, hard, a major computer failure and have to buy a new one, I can easily restore the entire computer just like it is with everything in the same place, including Windows and everything, the Windows that are there, not Windows operating system, um, with just a couple clicks that says restore. That's if worst case happens to the computer. What I do 
with all of my documents is I store them in Dropbox, which is pretty similar to what you do. So I could get on somebody else's computer and access any of my documents. I could do it on my mom's computer at home. I could do it at a hotel computer or whatever. So everything would be there. So if for whatever reason we had to leave the house and didn't have our computers with us, um, we'd still be able to work. Don't you think you could? Absolutely. And I should clarify my previous statement by saying that is what I'm doing in terms of off-site backup specifically. Um, I do have an external um, hard drive hooked up to my desktop, which is where I do most of my work. And that uses uh, Mac's proprietary system called Time Machine. And that is uh, pretty much continuously backing up my computer. And if my iMac um, failed overnight, um, the backup of the entire computer is there. It's local. I could go and buy a new iMac plug in the external hard drive and back everything up, and that would take a few hours. Um, of course, if uh, touch wood, if the house burns down or something like that, um, I don't have the luxury of that entire backup of my computer. But at least the vitals uh, are stored on iCloud. Um, regarding Dropbox, um, I have been trying to consolidate. Uh, I have a Dropbox account, an Evernote account, a Box account, uh, Google uh, Docs and iCloud, and I've been slowly migrating to iCloud just so everything is in one place. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you use as long as you use something. Um, Shelly made a very good point in the chat that she says, I've heard it is cumbersome to try and retrieve individual files or documents on Carbonite. Whoever you heard it from is entirely correct. That's why I use Dropbox to store what is my documents folder. Um, on there. So every document I've created, I can get to really quickly through Dropbox. So say I trash one by mistake, um, it would be fairly easy to get it back that way. Um, it is possible to get them back on Carbonite, entirely possible, but it's slow because you're having to go, you know, through the, the, web, the web to their servers to and find the file to get that one thing back. So for me, Carbonite is that emergency, um, you know, I drop my computer in the ocean or the house burns down or whatever major crisis things. And for the daily stuff, I do store in the cloud in Dropbox. Ron uses iCloud. Um, but I do think you really need to do it just, just for the peace of mind. Because, you know, um, whatever you don't plan for is going to happen. And I kind of figure if we make all these plans and contingencies for all our documents, nothing's going to happen. Um, so I just have one folder on my Mac that is the documents folder, and that entire folder is in Dropbox. So every time something changes there, it changes again. Um, and yeah, and I, was going to say that, um, I, I was going to say that um, Charlene's method of working and my method of working is slightly different. Charlene, um, you do. 99% of everything from your laptop, and basically the, the iMac, your iMac has now basically become a shipping station. Right, and so, exactly. Um, whereas I tend to bounce between um, my iMac. Um, if, if I'm processing orders, I, I'm doing it from the iMac. And if I'm ordering, uh, generally Charlene and I might be uh, 
you know, we, we might be watching television while I'm placing an order, and that will be on the desktop. And that is why, for me, uh, iCloud works as a place to centrally um, store all my purchase orders and invoices, because that way, if I start something on the laptop, it, it's there on the desktop and vice versa. Yeah, that's a really good point. I very seldom have actual documents on my shipping computer. Um, and if I do, for some reason, I may, if I download an image or whatever, it immediately goes into Dropbox because then it's available on the laptop where 99% of the work gets done. Um, I don't even answer mail on my shipping computer because I want to have all the mail in one place. But the, kind of what we're talking about is get a system and um, use it, whatever it is. You know, I'm not going to say one works better than another. Um, so um, just pick something, be consistent, and use it. Yeah, I was going to, because you, um, with your Dropbox account, the way you have yours configured is really neat because any photos or um, uh, media that you have on your uh, computer, they are synced in with Dropbox, and I actually get the, uh, the notifications uh, that you've added or removed files uh, on Dropbox. Because Charlene and I actually share a Dropbox account, um, but that really is a Dropbox really is a slick system. It is, uh, and yeah, a so lot of like Shelly uses her laptop and desktop, um, but actually has a second Dropbox account, so she no longer syncs between two systems. Shelly, what I was going to recommend is. What you can do is um, think about the Dropbox account that you um, want to continue to use and uh, consolidate everything to that. Sign out of both your Dropbox accounts on both computers and then sign into the one you're going to keep. You'll then be able to um, start those synchronizing between the two computers again. Yeah, it, once, it's a pain to get it set up, and I know this because I did the exact same thing, Shelly. I had two accounts too. Um, and then you wonder why you can't find some of your stuff. So, yeah, it's worth the time now to clean it up so then you don't have to um, carry around your thumb drive. She says, I can merge them. I just haven't made the time. Yeah, let's make the time. Um, so everything's in one place and all of that. Um, the, I um, I with Dropbox. I know there's other solutions like Box is one. I use Dropbox because several of my vendors have all of their product images in Dropbox and they share that folder with me. So whenever they update an image um, or delete an image or add images, it updates in my Dropbox. So all, I have all the latest images for their products, which is really nice. And I wish more vendors did that because it makes it so easy to make new listings when the images are already there and ready to go. So, um, Talking to that point, I have vendors that um, my prep service, I communicate with them in two methods. Um, I upload my Amazon um, labels uh, to them via the shared Dropbox folder that they created and shared with me. Um, I then uh, um, modify my workload, uh, my yeah, my workflow uh, for them in um, a Google, a shared Google Doc that I have um, editing permissions to. So, um, very quickly touching on that because I don't want to get off topic. Um, 
if I'm sending a pallet of merchandise from the manufacturer uh, to the prep service, I go into Google Docs that's shared and I say, um, 144 widgets are on their way and this is what needs to happen and then I go into Amazon and uh, do my send replenish inventory I save those um, labels so the product labels the box labels the pallet labels and then I upload those to the shared uh, Dropbox folder so that that's how I do that and that's kind of how I ended up with the various different accounts it's a necessity mm -hmm. to have to use uh, Google Docs and also Dropbox yeah it, you know like I said whatever works just continue to do it so I want to talk about one other thing about this whole emergencies um, we've had two big fires here in Jackson I mean one literally burned down to the sidewalk in the middle of town over the weekend um, and there were a lot of evacuations because of it. Um, make sure you know where your computer is, your phone, your iPad, whatever, in case you need to grab them and run. Because these people had like two minutes to get out. I mean, that was it. So make sure that you know where the stuff is. Like, you know, when you go to bed, kind of last thing, remember, okay, that's where it all is. So you can grab it and run. Because this is your livelihood and this is your business and it's really, really important. Um, if you're really into planning, you can make a list of all the stuff you need to grab, laptops, passports, dog, dog food, you know, whatever it is you want to take in an emergency. Um, I'm kind of getting off the business side, but I think the more concise that list and have it in your head, the faster it would be if something happened. Um, you know, because it can be just minutes is all you have. These people, some of them had to leave pets behind because they didn't have room in vehicles. And fortunately, the fire department went through and got their pets out. Um, no houses were burned, but they, they got so close that they said they burned the doormats. That's how close it was. So the other thing that Ron and I do is we have a, a travel pouch um, that we found through Kickstarter, really nice pouch designed to store cables and stuff. And we have one of those for each of us with all the cables, chargers, all the dongles, all those kind of things that go with our computers. And those stay packed, and we know right where those are, so we could grab those. We don't steal cables out of them. If we've lost the cable, we buy another one. We don't steal them out of that. So that thing is always 100% ready to go with no question. And then if you go away on a weekend trip, you can grab it too. It's not just for emergencies. But, but make yourself a pouch, even if it's just a Ziploc bag, of all those gadgets for your computer um, and just leave it packed ready to go. Yeah, so, that was a brilliant point that, uh, that you found, um, Charlene. Um, the, having that pouch... It's one of those things that, yes, there was a small amount of expense incurred in buying the pouch and those cables, but I think about the peace of mind that I'm buying with that, as well as the time savings. Um, I travel two to three times a year. Charlene's on the road a lot more than I am. But it's lovely to know that one of the things I don't have to worry about when I'm packing is all of the cables and accessories that go with my electronics. Um, I can. I need to grab my phone, my iPad, and my laptop, uh, and I travel with an Apple Watch. 
but um, knowing that in that pouch there are the appropriate, as exactly as Charlene said, the appropriate Charlene charging cables, power adapters um, for the watch, uh, for the phone, for the iPad, everything. Um, and it's much easier to keep there. It also keeps it very well organized. So yes, there is a small expense incurred, but there's a massive time saving, and I think you're buying fantastic peace of mind. Yeah, and then you don't have to think about it when you're packing for a trip, too. You know, you just grab it and go. So Shelly makes the point that don't rely on your head in an emergency, which is so true. Um, have that list that you're going to make and, and have them in several rooms so you can just grab it and go. And she has, she calls it a go bag, which I've heard many people call, um, call this things the, um, so you're ready to go. And then you only, she says, then you only have to worry about one thing, like the dogs, you know, and have a bag for your pets, especially if your pets are on medication. Um, have all that ready to go, too, because we left the house a couple of years ago because there was a fire across the street. And I grabbed the dog, the dog food, my laptop, the passports, and a few other things, and left. It was like, you know, nothing here is worth getting injured over because it's just stuff in the end. So anyway, I will post a link to that pouch in the group when we're done here, because it's an especially nice one. I've tried a bazillion of them. Some of them are not so good. Some of them are too small. Some of them are too big. This one seems to fit the bill. So I'll post that in the group. Um, next thing I want to get into is what happens if you're sick and you just can't deal with your business, you know? You may be in the hospital. You may just be in bed and can't do it. What do you do? Um, do you have anything in place, Ron, besides me? <laughs> if you get sick? Yeah, that, that's one of those things. There's, there's always the, uh, the unspoken, unwritten agreement that, yes, the other, you know, it, the other person will pick up the slack. Um, and I'm very fortunate to have that in Charlene, and I would say that she's very, uh, very fortunate to have that in me. But... That is something that I've been giving some consideration on uh, recently. I'm looking at having a um, – Charlene is my plan B. Uh, I'm looking at um, putting a plan C into place. Um, Charlene, I'm, I, I think it would be worthwhile saying in that with the estate planning, um, I'll talk on that. Um, remind me That's to talk later. on that a little yeah. bit later. Yeah. But um, right now, if Charlene is uh, uh, unable to step up, um, if I'm, uh, when we say, you know, unable, it's like incapacitated. It's not like, oh, I'm under the weather. It's um, I'm unable for whatever reason to run my business. Like, uh, heaven forbid, I, I get hit by a meteorite and um, I, I'm in a coma in the hospital. What happens then? And I need to put something in place for that besides Charlene. Yeah, and this, this one is interesting because I, Deborah Conrad and I talked about this on a Thrifting for Profit podcast probably four or five years ago. It's been a long, long time about what to do, um, especially if, you're, if you live alone or you're a single person. Or in the case, I think John Wayne was the one who said his spouse doesn't know how to do anything in his business. So I, my, my thought is, if you don't have someone that knows Amazon at all, then you have to take the time to do two things. And the first one is like for the worst case emergencies, find a friend 
who knows Amazon, and we have a hundred and some people in the group who you trust, and at least give them the basic logon information to your account so they can check for buyer messages. That's the important one, right? Because if you don't answer those in 24 hours, it's a ding and an up ding and, and your account is closed. And in a minute, I'll talk about a case where that happened. And after we did that podcast, I had two people that were uh, kind enough and trusting enough to put me as their emergency thing. Like they said, if something happens to me, here's the logons for my account. Can you like get me through this time? So I think that's a really important one to find someone who can at least do that for the first 24 hours so things calm down a little. And then the next thing comes in, um, what happens if it's going to be a longer time than that? Um, I, I'm thinking that you have to have a written, we, because I don't have it either, a written out plan. So if Ron and I, God forbid, we're in an accident together, what happens? So I need to find that person that can at least answer those buyer messages and then, ha- then put in place a written plan that that person could pass on to whomever is next in line to help. But the, b- because this is so time intensive with Amazon, this, this you must respond in 24-hour thing, it's really important to have somebody that can at least check on them like really quickly. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, you can, um, I I think most of us in the group, uh, we do fulfillment by Amazon as opposed to seller fulfilled. And so it's not like you can designate a third party to go in and put your uh, storefront on uh, vacation mode, uh, which will take care of at least the merchant fulfilled side of things. that is very important that you have uh, a designated trusted person who can go in and take care of the, um, the fulfillment by Amazon side of things. Well, that's true, though, because I think probably all of us have at least one item that we merchant fulfill. I know Shelly does a lot of it, um, and I think um, Sarah does a, a fair bit of it, too. Um, if you, you need to then have that list, okay, here's what you do. First thing you do is go on, turn on vacation settings. So... You don't have to worry about fulfilling any of those in the heat of the moment. And then it is that checking those, those messages at least daily. Um, I check them, you know, every time I get to the computer, I just check and my phone gives me a message, you know, when one comes in and all of that. But um, especially if the person is not an Amazon seller, um, they need to have very specific written instructions with screenshots about what they should do if something happens because they're going to be lost. Um, my mom could perfectly manage it if she was instructed on how, but if she wasn't, she wouldn't know what to do. How was she supposed to know through osmosis, figure it out, you know? Um, and I think providing very specific instructions is really critical, and I think this is something we all need to work on. Um, is someone who can help that. Um, and if, if they're going to go further and like answer questions from buyers and all that, manage it a little further, do the, them the favor of providing them with canned answers for certain situations. And you can use something like Text Expander to automate that, where if they have it on their computer and it's on yours, you write them up, they have two little shortcuts and then can paste that message in. Um, 
we had a group member. Unfortunately, we've had two group members pass away in the in the short history of the group. The first one was um, a member. She's been gone several years now. It seems like just yesterday, but she um, she asked me when she was sick to help check her account. So that was fine, um, you know. And I checked it every day and dealt with buyer messages and all that. Um, but then she passed away. Um, and she was very young, too. She was in her 40s. Um, and her son contacted me, and she had put me in contact with her son, saying he was going to take over his mom's account. And I said, wonderful. She built up some nice wholesale accounts and all of that. And so um, I walked him through what he needed to do to at least the bare minimum. And then when he felt comfortable with that, I said, okay, here's the next step that you have to do, et cetera. And um, he had my phone number so he could call me for anything. But, you know, he was a young kid. He was in his early 20s, and he got complacent. And he didn't check for buyer messages. A week or two would go by, and he wouldn't check. She was all FBA, so, you know, he didn't have to ship anything um, and was selling through the product, but he wasn't answering the buyer messages and sad to say, he didn't respond to enough of them and didn't deal with them. The account was closed um, because of it. Enough, enough of them happened that, you know, they said fine. And, um, and I had impressed on him that that was like his number one thing he had to do. But, you know, he, got, he said he got busy doing this and he got busy doing that and, and all of this. And so everything just shut down. So you really need to be careful that the person that you put in that first line of stuff really knows that it's not just, oh, yeah, I'll check when I get the chance. No. I think they have to check at least every 12 hours because we now only have 24 hours to answer messages. So um, I think they need to know that you check every 12 hours um, because it's stressful enough being ill and losing your Amazon account over it would be even more stressful. So be careful who you choose and make sure you impress upon them how serious it is. So uh, anything else on that when you can't run your business, Ron? Yeah, this I was is kind of the temporary can't run. So you, you've basically got two workflows uh, there. You've got the workflow for someone who is familiar with Amazon, um, such as um, you know, if you make a buddy, um, um, Charlene and I used to scuba dive, not so much more. There's not so much scuba diving in Wyoming. But uh, if you have a dive buddy, if you have a business buddy you know, from the group, they're going to know, they're going to be cognizant of what is necessary to run an Amazon business. But a friend or family member probably doesn't have much of an idea. So exactly as Charlene said, the first thing is whoever you've got, is you've got to make sure that you've got them updated with logons, so usernames and passwords. If you change those, they need to know those. Um, for someone who's not familiar with Amazon, you've got to impress upon them the importance of checking uh, at least daily, uh, preferably uh, in the morning and the evening, and give very specific instructions as to what they're supposed to do. Um, the, your flavor of canned answer to common questions, as Charlene said, text expander is a good one. If you don't use that, you can create a simple uh, text document, and guess where? You can put that in Dropbox, so Dropbox. your preferred method of yeah. cloud storage. Um, so that's a great use for that. But uh, yeah, having a contingency plan um, 
for. And I would encourage anyone listening to this to, to partner up with a, a Hoosie buddy so if something happens, um, you've got someone that you can rely on. Okay, now the bad, worst-case scenario. What happens to your Amazon account when you die? What happens to your business when you die? And Ron and I both have wills, so we kind of didn't think about anything past that until something happened this week, right, Ron? Exactly. Um, as most people know, I, um, I have my Monday, Friday, 9 to 5, and I have my Amazon business. And in my Monday, Friday, 9 to 5, I came across a situation where um, a lady was dealing with the very sudden and unexpected death of her son who had a business. And she came in uh, and requested my assistance. And, and the, the horrible, horrible thing is um, I, I couldn't help her. Um, and, and you want to give someone as much help, especially in such a shocking and traumatic time. But that got me thinking, and I'm thinking, okay, well, um, Charlene and I uh, have pretty simple wills, and um, if I get hit by a meteorite, Charlene gets everything, and uh, if Charlene gets hit by a meteorite, I get pretty much everything. So, uh, but what occurred to me was when my will was written, I wasn't even in business. And since then, um, I now have a business. And whether your business is worth $100 or $100 million, it's a separate entity. Um, and so I did a bit of digging into that to think, um, what can I do to easily transition my business over to Charlene? Um, for example, with a, with a bank account, if um, I have a joint account with uh, someone. If I die, the money in that joint bank account automatically um, is the property of the other account holder. But what happens with a business? So um, I did some research. I contacted my uh, attorney that drew up my will, and they said, um, in my situation, which is I live in Wyoming, my company is a Wyoming registered company, it is a limited liability company, and I own it 100%. I can have a very simple document drawn up, which is called a transfer upon death. And it very simply say, states that if I was to become deceased, the business, all business assets, and intellectually property, intellectual property transfer in full to Charlene. And uh, that's something that um, my attorney said, yeah, we do that all the time. Um, so obviously, you know, Charlene and I are not legal professionals. We're not tax professionals, right. and you could, you should consult someone. But it sounds like uh, it should be a fairly simple procedure for you to contact uh, a legal professional and have something put in place so that um, your business seamlessly transfers to someone else. And the key point uh, that my attorney informed me of was. Based on this document, none of the business assets are locked in probate, which can take a long time. So um, that allows someone to uh, unofficially, be, between the two things that we've covered, which is someone has your usernames, passwords, and canned answers, someone can unofficially pick up the slack of your business and keep it running until they can officially take over your business and actually take position, uh, possession of uh, the business, the business assets, and any intellectual property that it has. 
Yeah, this was an interesting case, and I'm just going to preface that. First of all, as Ron said, we're not attorneys or tax professionals. We're just telling you what we did. Every state is going to be different on, action, on how this is implemented. We live in a, a state where things are really easy. Um, it's, everything is simple. So, um, so this was basically, we got the draft document today. It's a one-page document, and it, it cites the Wyoming statute that allows this to happen, and it basically says, boom, everything goes, and that's it. Um, every, like I said, every state is going to be different, but I can guarantee every state has some sort of provision. So you don't want to lose or your state to lose whatever you work so hard to build. Um, our LLCs are um, um, both uh, sole owner LLCs, um, it will be different if, like, a husband and a wife are joint owners of that LLC, but ours are sole owners, so we wanted to make it simple. Um, so um, for us, the bank accounts, we have some bank accounts that we're joint on and some that we're sole on, sole owners of, and Wyoming has the transfer on death provision for those also. So there is no delay. Is that right, Ron, that, that once... Once one person dies, if it's a transfer on death bank account, it is immediately available to the, the designee? Absolutely. And what generally happens in the banking business is if you have, and we're going to talk first of all about personal accounts, not business accounts. If you have a personal account that is a joint account, and let's just use uh, Charlene and myself as examples, um, we are joint owners of the bank account, meaning that even if I've put in a million dollars and Charlene's put in one dollar, we both have equal rights to that money. So if one of us dies, the other one legally owns the money and there is no delay from the bank in accessing that money. You don't have to provide death certificates or anything like that. Um, now, uh, Shelley asked, um, can you not put um, beneficiary instructions on checking accounts? Again, um, most banks will allow you to do so. Um, you can put on what is called a payable upon death instruction on a personal checking account, which says that, um, let's just say hypothetically that I had a personal checking account. Um, I'm going to let you guys into a secret. I do. I have a checking account that I put money into, and it's literally called my Spoil Charlene account, and I put money into there, and that money is for birthdays, anniversaries, and Christmas, and stuff like that. And I don't want her seeing what I'm spending money on in that. So she doesn't currently have access to that. But there is an instruction on file that says it is payable upon death to Charlene. And what Charlene would have to do in that case, because the bank is already aware that that is my wishes, Charlene goes in with her ID and says, I'm Charlene, Ron has become deceased, here is his death certificate, and I would like a check for the money. And there is no tie-up, there is no time delay or anything on that. So that takes care of personal, um, that takes care of personal accounts. Business accounts, if it is an LLC or a corporation or a partnership, it's not your money. It's the businesses. And that is why it's so important to have this transfer upon death instruction or the, the equivalent instruction in place in your state uh, for the business side of things. Okay. Um, the next thing is um, what, what – so say 
I passed away and I have transfer on death of the business and the business bank accounts. What do you would you have to do then? Just go to the bank and I, I that part I'm not sure about. The further how so do you implement in, all this and start yeah, so, over things? So using you and me as a real world example, um, once we've got that transfer on death um, document filed, that's then, I mean, it says, um, I'm deceased, you can prove that I'm deceased, you are now the owner of my business and all its assets. Um, you would take that to your financial institution, well, you take that to my financial institution, and you'd say, I know that Ron has a business bank account, Ron is deceased, here is his death certificate so you know he is deceased, and here is a legal document stating that in the event that Ron is deceased, I get 100% control of the business and all its assets, which includes this bank account. So it really does not tie up the day-to-day uh, -day operations of, of the bank account. And as we've covered, um, if you've got a designee that uh, you want to run the business, um, in the event of you being incapacitated or death. Um, you know, Charlene has access to my usernames and passwords for Amazon through our one password account. And so if something happens to me, she can, in an unofficial capacity, continue to run the business until such time as she's got the official documentation in place to let Amazon know, let the bank know that she is now the owner of my company. Um, so, I, I, to be honest, I don't know that you'd have to let Amazon know because it's still the same LLC, but that's kind of beside the point. Um, so basically, the bank, you would just like sign a new signature card so you could then sign on the checks and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, different banks do it different yeah. ways, but um, uh, whether they would modify that account or transfer that account to a different bank account, I mean, different banks are going to do it different ways. But when you have a legal okay. document that uh, says, um, if he's dead, I'm the owner, and he's dead and here's the proof, so I'm the owner, uh, that makes it very simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that would, that poor woman this week, that would have avoided all of the hassle she's now going to have to face dealing with getting that transferred to her. You know, it's absolutely. It's, yeah, it's and it would. This was one as as prepared as we are on stuff that I hadn't thought about because I just thought, oh, the, we have the wills, that's fine. But now, so I think this is an important one, which moves on to actually Shelley's last question and our last part of this, which is selling your business. And I'm not talking about just selling your Amazon account because technically you cannot sell your Amazon account, but you can sell your whole business that happens to include an Amazon account. Um, and there are companies out there, bro business brokerages, that that's all they do is, is sell Amazon accounts, and they take a commission for doing it. So, so be aware that if you want to keep part of your business um, and just sell the Amazon account, technically you really can't do that. Um, but it is, it is possible to monetize your Amazon business. So I did some research um, over the past couple months just to see what – what these brokers, what their criteria are, and what they're looking for when they are brokering Amazon businesses. And there's a few things that um, you can do 
to make your business more valuable, and there's a few things you have no control over. Um, so the first one that adds value is if you have daily payouts, meaning you can withdraw the funds in your account every single day. Um, the, um, that's one that, that is big, um, especially since it's not available to everybody, and businesses look at that as a, as a way to have good cash flow. Um, another one that is huge is being ungated in categories that are really hard to get ungated in and if you are approved to sell certain brands. Those can be the entire value of a business. You can have zero inventory, but if you are ungated in certain brands and categories, that will add business. So um, longtime group, group members will know that every time an easy ungating has come along, I or someone else who's seen it first posts in the group to go do it. Because even if you never have an intention of selling those products, it could add enough value to your business to make it really worthwhile. And it takes just a few minutes for those automatic ones. Um, another thing that, that the business, the brokers were looking for, because I actually filled out an application just so I could learn about what they were looking for, is that... Um, any exclusive agreements with wholesalers adds value to your business, meaning you have a, um, an agreement in place with brand XYZ that you're the only one who can sell them on Amazon. Um, especially if it's a good seller, then that will add value to your business. Um, obviously, the, the big one is your sales number and your profit margins um, are going to determine what figure that they think your business is worth. And they will give you an estimate. All of them will give you an estimate. And then you're faced with getting emails like every day from them. And then you have to unsubscribe. But you can get estimates. So the, um, the, um, the sales and profit, obviously the higher your margins, the better the business. And the one that I didn't think about but was a big deal and Jennifer Simmers will be glad to hear this, is if you have procedures in place and you outsource a lot of the work, your business is worth far more because a lot of people buying Amazon businesses want a hands-off business. So if you have a notebook of procedures for every part of your business and how everything works, that's a big plus. And the other big plus is if you have everything possible outsourced. Um, that's not my personal style, but if you're big enough, I think that that's the next step you have to take. And if you have those in things in place, a VA that does your reimbursements, a bookkeeper, you know, a prep service, uh, or, or someone who comes in and does prep, the less hands-on you are with the business, according to these brokers, the more valuable it is, um, which, is a, which is an interesting um, thing to see because some of the things I think, I think buying is the most important part of this business, buying the right products at the right price. That is something I would never, ever, ever outsource um, because then someone else is making those value judgments on your business. That's a real tough one. You know, you take years and years and years to learn your niche, your products, what works on Amazon, what doesn't. 
Just because a product's a big seller in a brick-and-mortar store doesn't mean it's going to sell the same way on Amazon. I learned that one early, that, you know, that is not the same, th- same thing. Um, that you, the buying part is the most important. So that would be the last one I would outsource. But I do think we all need to take a note out of Jennifer's book and start writing down procedures um, for our business. You know, just start. Um, write something down and get started. I know, Ron, you've been doing that with your prep service, right? You've been working on a spreadsheet and a, a work order thing and all that, right? Yeah, I have a workflow um, for... Um, the inventory that I don't touch. Um, and so that is a, uh, it's an Excel spreadsheet that basically has a start to finish of the life cycle of getting the product to Amazon. And what I mean by that is step one, uh, I want to place an order. And step 10, it is listed for sale on Amazon. Um, and, and that goes through from, where am I? So I've ordered it. Um, the supplier has acknowledged the order. It's on its way to the prep service. I've uploaded the documents to the prep service. The prep service has received it. They've processed it. It's been picked up by the shipper. It's been received by Amazon. Um, it's been listed for sale by Amazon. Is complete. Um, I've received an invoice from the uh, manufacturer. I've received an invoice from the prep service, and I've paid those. So I know stuff. And then there's a kind of side column. Um, if something goes wrong, um, you know, have I opened a ticket or what have I done? So that way, um, you know, if, if I've got one order a week open, that's not a big deal. But if I've got 15 o- orders open a week, it becomes a very big deal. Um, and so that has some kind of intrinsic value to someone else that's buying your business or interested in buying your business because there is a procedure in place. Yeah, I can remember Jennifer talking about that she never realized until she started writing these out in detail that she had to write in there, press down tape firmly with hands. That's how detailed hers are. You know, somebody packing a box. Okay, you put the tape on it, now you have to press the tape firmly. And I think of her every time I pack a box and press the tape down. Um, But hugely valuable, right? Because if somebody offered me like a whole book of procedures on Amazon, that would be great, and then I could adapt them to how I work. But it's that first bit of stuff on paper that's the hardest to, to just start writing it down. Because we do it, I mean, I do the same routine pretty much every day. And it's such a routine that I don't even have to think about it. But I can't imagine if somebody just jumped right in and tried to do it. So you can add value to your business by, by doing these, these procedure notebooks um, and outsource what you can. Like I outsource a bookkeeper and I use Karen Locker services. Those are the two big ones that I do. And I have a CPA. Those are the ones that I do. So at least those are in place. But it was interesting to hear that a lot of Amazon business buyers don't want to do anything. They want it hands-off, if at all possible. So, um, I think That's that interesting that you with... say that because I, I'd never thought of that. I mean, I have yeah, my routine yeah. now that when I'm packing an Amazon box, um, I have a tape gun, and I seal the box, and I've got my way of doing it. So put a strip down the middle, slightly to the left, slightly to the right. And then I take the handle of the tape gun and I use that to rub down the tape to make you sure do. it's actually yeah. stuck. 
but I'd never thought of yeah, actually I, putting that down on paper. But yeah, thank Jennifer for that because she said you have to, you know, because um, I, I know when you pack and use that gun and use the gun to press it down with. So yeah, but that's the kind of thing you mean. So um, that's all I have on the um, the notes for this, you know, kind of morbid topic, but something that has to be talked about. But I want to I want to segue a little bit to something that happened with Ron's business this week and and how we kind of solved the problem. And I, you guys know, you guys who listen know I love the prophet, Marcus Lemonis on the prophet. I think he's pretty darn awesome. Um, so wait, okay, hold on. Ron says he has a point. We're not in the same room. So make your point, Ron, and then I'll get on to it. <laughs> okay. Um, with, with, the, with the delay, it's, uh, we try and avoid not talking. Well, we try and avoid talking yeah, over we, each other. But um, re- regarding those things in, in terms of uh, whether it's sales agreements or exclusivity agreements, um, when one is starting a business, it's very easy to think of the business as you and you are the business. And so you tend to talk to um, your potential uh, business partners that you're going to be doing business with, uh, such as uh, vendors and suppliers, as um, I, you know, I, Ron Davison, uh, want to be the only person that buys your widgets from you. Um, and that sounds fine, but the danger is, is You've got to think of your business. It's not you. The business is its own entity. The business is a separate thing from you. You're not the business. The business is not you. And so you not need to start thinking of it as, uh, Mr. Manufacturer, I want Ron Davison's company, let's call it the Wizzo Chocolate Company, uh, to uh, have an exclusivity with you. So if you ever sell the Wizzo Chocolate Company to someone else, that agreement is in place between the vendor and that company. So it, it's, if you haven't done that already, um, start mentally separating, a, separating out you from your business and make sure that you're putting those agreements in place with your vendors that they're dealing with a company and not with an individual. You're the face of the company. Exactly. Okay. Can I talk about Marcus Lemonis now? Let's talk about Marcus. Okay. He, the one thing that I love about him is he has, his saying is it's, business is about three Ps. It's product, process, and people. Uh, uh, well, I'm going to back up. Shelly has a question. A sole proprietorship is still, use the royal we, you know? It's still the business. It's, it, even though you're the only person involved, Shelly, I would still think of it as the business instead of Shelly. And, and I have learned over the past couple of years at trade shows to say we, you know, when I'm talking, we'd love to carry your product, you know, and, and kind of look at it the royal we um, instead of I would like to carry your product. I say we would because I kind of look at it as this business is another entity besides me. So um, product, process, people. Okay, there's three things that make a successful business. You have to have all three, meaning your product has to be decent. People have to want to buy your product. The people who work with you have to be good. That's the people part. And then the process part is that more nebulous one is like, how does your business run? 
How do you make the product? How do you handle the invoicing of people? How do you ship the product? All those things involved in the process thing. So Ron has a supplier who makes a fabulous product. No question asked that the product is first rate. The people, I don't know the people. I've talked to one on the phone, the owner of the company on the phone a couple times, but they seem nice enough, okay? I don't know how efficient they are or anything. But the one thing I do know is their process is broken, meaning they don't have one. They don't, they, connect, they cannot make enough products to fulfill their orders. Right, Ron? Absolutely. Um, as you said, product's great. The people that I deal with, I have real people that I ring, I, I call them, and they answer after three rings, and it's a, it's a real person. But the way they get the product to me, um, I've been very frustrated with that. I've been using um, various inventory management systems, such as Restock Pro, for a while now to try and predict uh, inventory need, um, but when you are trying to put into, for example, Restock Pro, um, I've got one supplier that I know if I order on a Friday, I am going to have that product with me the following uh, Wednesday or Thursday, and that is exactly what happened uh, today. So I can put in my lead time as um, you know, five business days or one week. Uh, with these guys, uh, with, with um, the, the company we're talking about, uh, I've said, okay, guys, how much lead time do you want? And at one point, it was uh, three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, two months. We don't know. Um, and yeah. so trying to predict inventory flow um, a, a business, three months out is, is almost impossible. Um, but what we when you don't know um, if you can get it, it's impossible because there's no consistency in this. Um, yeah, and that's where I'm at right it. now is because one of, yeah. their, um, one of their steps of their manufacturing mm -hmm. process um, is, is now broken and they're waiting on a replacement machine. So um, no inventory is, is currently moving through the production line. So the, the purchase that I put in place for two, for two months ago um, those are now held up. Yeah, and this company is the leader in their field. The product they make is known by everybody. If you want to buy a product in this field, this is the best one. They're made in the USA, um, but they cannot seem to manage their inventory to save your soul. You would think coming up on Q4, and this is a product that sells like hotcakes as a gift, um, you would think that they would do everything they could to build up inventory in those slow times throughout the year, like the summer, build up that inventory so you have it ready to go in Q4, but they don't do it. Year after year after year, they don't do it. And I just think, God, if Marcus Lemonis had this company and, you know, could fix that process, you know, they could be worth probably 10 times what they're worth now. But the owner is very... Uh, anti-change. He doesn't want anything. It ha it's worked this way, so this is the way it's going to stay, etc. But coming into the point that I was going to make is I was sitting here the other day, and we found this product. Ron found this product through a distributor. 
that he bought buys a lot of other products from. They have like 6,000 SKUs. And this two, two of the product line of this manufacturer happened to be carried by this distributor. And Ron stopped ordering them from the distributor years ago when he started ordering multiple pallets from the manufacturer themselves. So I'm sitting here and I go, I wonder if that distributor has any of those left. And I said, Ron, why don't you call Kim and see if she's got any of those left in their warehouse? And what happened, Ron? Yep, that's exactly what I've done. And although, um, obviously, I've now put uh, an additional step in the supply chain, and they want to make their money. And so um, my cost of goods is going to be a 20% extra um, for this particular order. But I can fulfill that um, that need um, because I'm getting very low on some of this stuff, and I can make sure that I don't um, run out. And um, I'm thinking supply and demand uh, coming up to Q4. If my um, cost of goods sold is going to go up about 20%, my gross Amazon price is going to go up about 25% uh, in order to cover that, and that sounds disastrous. But if I can't get from the manufacturer, my competitors can't get from the manufacturer either, and eventually I you might buy, actually have a monopoly on that product. Right, because you bought out the distributor, and – I know you were checking to see if there were any other distributors who had any, and I don't think you found any. So no. basically, you bought out the only person who had these products left. Right, and this is not some Machiavellian uh, cornering of the market or something like that. This is just me trying to solve a business problem, but there are ways around that. Um, I remember your um, uh, podcast on where you mentioned the Eisenhower matrix and um, my analysis is the um, the owner of the company is so wrapped up in the urgent important stuff which has to be taken care of now that's a fire that needs to be put out uh, that he cannot transition to uh, the important but not urgent so putting things in place for the future so as you said so he doesn't uh, Mark run out of product yeah he I mean he's because I'm on the phone with them saying, guys, I will prepay for this. Um, you know, you will have, and I, th this was the biggest one I ever did. I, I literally offered them an $11,000 purchase order saying, here is the money. Please make it for me as soon as possible. Send it to my prep service. Um, I will pay ahead of time. I'll pay for you to manufacture it. And they're like, uh, we, we can't do it because the machine's broken. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it doesn't matter what processes you know I have in place. Um, sometimes there's something else in the supply chain that'll let me down. Exactly, and and my point of talking about this is think creatively. You know, it's it's at that time of year. This is a product that sells for a hundred. One of them is like hundred fifty dollars, and the other is like three hundred dollars. So it's not an inexpensive yes, about item. Right. Um, yeah, so it's not it's not an inexpensive item. So being able to find 300 more of them through this distributor and paying more but charging more, at least you can make some money on them, you know? And, and um, I just hope that everybody, if you run into a problem like this, just, just sit around, like, whether it's in the shower or watching TV, and just let it run through your head. And it's amazing what answers will come up when you're not thinking too hard about them. And that's how this happens. So just want to leave you with a, a positive 
way of fixing a supply chain problem. And boy, I wish Marcus would get a hold of this guy's company and fix the process because they've got the product. And that, to me, the product's the hard part. Yeah, so I was going to say, uh, wrapping up, um, don't underestimate the value of your business. Uh, don't just think, oh, it's just me and I'm the business and if I'm not around, there is no value to it. As Charlene's mentioned, there are brokers that will take your business, analyze it, and see what that business actually has in terms of a tangible dollar value. Because we've worked hard on our businesses, we've put processes in place, and there is value to those. So um, think positively about that. It's worth um, spending a little bit of time planning uh, about what you can do uh, to protect the time investment that you've got in your business to turn it into a money investment. Exactly. Well, I, it's time to wrap up before TalkShoe kicks us off again. So, Ron, thanks for, for coming straight home and, and doing this. I really, really appreciate it. And thanks to Sarah and John and the others who asked for this topic because it makes us all kind of think um, about our business in a different way. And we will catch you guys in the group later. Ron, do you have anything to say in closing before I click the button? No, I'd say thank you very much, everyone, for your time. It's always fun talking to you. Thank you, Shelley, for keeping us on our toes and asking us tons of questions. We always appreciate them. Okay, bye-bye, everybody. Get sourcing. Get that product in for Q4, and we'll see you in the group. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.